Welcome to Return to Oz Minute. We are the daily podcast analyzing the 1985 movie Return to Oz. I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Mike Carlucci. Thanks for joining us again. Today we're going to be talking about Minute 9 of the movie, which begins with Aunt Em and Dorothy arriving at the doctor's, and it ends with Dorothy explaining to them how to use the ruby slippers. And I wanted to make sure to mention the ruby slippers as often as possible because when Disney was making this movie, the original material had passed into fair use, but the ruby slippers, which were created for the MGM movie, had not. So they had to pay. And I don't know if I've ever seen the dollar amount attached to it, but they gave MGM a chunk of change so that they could say ruby slippers in this movie. So I'm just... Little tip of the hat to their legal department today. Yes, nothing like showing off the wonders of Technicolor. Ah, uh, yes. Well, this, I just love though that we have the contrast of, you know, Ruby slippers so that we can reference MGM, but we are immediately launched into the original story, which is. Much more terrifying than what Judy Garland was talking about with, I'm blanking on his name, but the man who played the Tin Man. Uh, yeah, we're using the book's explanation of how the Tin Man became the Tin Man. And hello, Dark Disney. Would, would you like me to summarize or would you like to take this one? Well, so in... In the movie The Wizard of Oz, we just sort of get an idea that he was turned to tin. Didn't someone turn him to tin? Did the Wicked Witch turn him to tin? I don't think that's okay, implied. Okay, sorry. But... Alright. I didn't mean to interrupt your story, but I could have sworn someone just turned him into tin. Magic! Problem solved. Yes, which is nice, and it's kind of like but it the real story is a little more like <laughs> comparing uh you know the old german folktale of uh oh geez now i'm gonna get this wrong cinderella lost her foot right yeah, yeah where the the uh stepsisters cut off their toes to, so that their bloody stumps could fit in the slipper <laughs> You know, in the in the Disney cartoon, oh, everyone's just dancing and having fun, and her foot's too fat. Their feet are just too yeah. big. She just has a big everyone foot. Everyone has a good time. Yeah. Um. Would Would you say it was grim? <laughs> oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> yeah, but in the book, the Tin Man. Uh, starts chopping off his limbs and has them replaced with tin. One at a time. Including his head. I, I don't know ah! how, but somehow, <laughs> somehow he also loses his head and gets that replaced by tin. The, uh, you know, bearing the lead here, this tinsmith, amazing guy. Like, the, the guy is literally a miracle worker. All part of the Tinsmith's plan. <laughs> He's replacing people's entire bodies with tin. I, uh, I don't know how he did it. How did he move his brain over? Is there a brain inside there? There isn't, because we hear him... Oh, no, he hits, his, he hits his chest and it's hollow. But that's... Yeah. I don't know if that's in the but book. But he doesn't have a heart. 
it's implied that he's empty. I'm just so annoyed at myself that, Mike, I've seen this movie many times in my life. And I've seen it a few times as an adult. And I've watched it minute by minute. And this is the first time, as you said that, that I realized the Tin Man's Darth Vader. The Tin Man's from the Star Wars universe. That's the only thing that makes sense. Well. Star Wars Minute. I guess <laughs> Dorothy does say she flew away, so she had the high ground. We might be reaching because she definitely doesn't imply that she did the cutting. He did it himself, which is creepy in a whole different way. But for those of you who haven't watched this movie in a while or haven't reviewed your minutes for the week, she's sitting in the doctor's office. She's telling the doctor and Auntie M how the Tin Man became the Tin Man. Yeah, Dark Disney. Um, that... It wasn't a tiger, it was a lion who could talk. And then the ruby slippers brought her home. And the doctor starts questioning how that works. I am I really love that he's really given her grief on how does she think the ruby slippers got her home and just glosses over the part where animals speak and this man hacked himself to death and was replaced by tin limb by limb, including his head. Well, if... Yeah. Go on. No, no, I'm good. I'm enraged at this quack. I can't even deal with the fact that I'm sure that his ring is significant, but I'm too busy by being distracted by her horrifying story. Well, in 1899, if Dorothy may have been exposed to an earlier version of the of the Grimm's uh, fairy tales, perhaps chopping limbs off seemed reasonable as something this is just standard fare for children <laughs> well yeah kind of a dark dark twisted story about uh, a man working with lumber uh you know that that's in the same sort of genre as some of the old fairy tales but flying shoes that's i mean obviously she had to get back like you can explain away oh you know she's nuts she was dreaming. She was hallucinating. <laughs> but how did she get back? Like that's that's the part he's trying to solve. Like he doesn't care if she act, if she actually got transported somewhere and saw a tin man and a uh, a lion or possibly tiger. If you're the doctor, I guess he wasn't taking notes. Nope. Great medical practice there. Although I almost wonder. If he's actually just the world's greatest therapist and he's in the wrong field. Because what he's trying to make her do is to get her to question her delusion. Instead of him questioning it. He's just trying to get her to realize that that couldn't have happened. So it's fine. Oh. But mm, he's a jerk and a quack and I hate him because he's scary. <laughs> Also, Sorry. she says that all the animals in Oz could talk. Toto couldn't talk. Uh, uh, uh. The crows couldn't talk. 
if you will remember one of my favorite bits of trivia, it's that Toto could have talked and he just chose not to. I don't know about the crows. They're not as endearing to my heart. <laughs> Though we do hear that the scarecrow says they taunted him. I guess we don't hear any talk. Maybe they do talk and we just happen to not be there that day. You know? Like, because Toto barked and the lion could roar. It's not that they can't also make their noises. It's just they also can talk. The trees can also talk in Oz in the original film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to trees. Don't worry. <laughs> Back to this ring. Yes. While he's analyzing the key that's quote-unquote from the old house, that quote-unquote, we don't need quotes, that someone, I guess, polished the heck out of at some point between when we last saw it. It looks gorgeous. And it looks way more like it says Oz now. I don't know if that's just my mind being really gullible. Like she said, it's an O and a Z, and now I see an O and a Z. But it looks way more Oz-ish, that's not a word, than it did when she showed it to Aunt Em. Yeah. It, it definitely looks... Definitely looks different. It, it, I wonder if it's the same key, or if this is a different prop. I have a feeling I'm looking at it now. Again, I have a lot of questions about the filming of this movie. It looks like a different prop, but why? Why? I I, I used to like make little backyard films and I was stage manager for high school theater and I knew that you need to control your props because they will get lost and they will get ruined. And so the idea of having multiple things you'd have to keep track of is horrifying to me. Unless, now I'm thinking, maybe they had, maybe this was supposed to be the one she found in the grass, but they filmed this first and it got lost. So they had to make a second one really quickly, and that's why it doesn't look as good. I don't know. Is his ring a ruby ring? It's got to be significant. You don't put that on an actor without a reason. Is this Chekhov's ring? Is that what you're, you're saying? It, yep. Chekhov's creepy costuming. I just... I'm speaking of costuming, I'm still very distracted by how fancy Aunt M is for a woman who's like at the end of her rope. That is quite an ensemble. I'm not caught up on my 1800s Midwest uh, fashion. I don't claim to be an expert, but that's a big hat. And, and a fancy coat. I'm looking... What's this double lapel action going on? Sorry, for those at home who are curious, I'm just looking at the doctor again. I happen to be looking at second 39, although you aren't seeing his glorious ring, and I wish I could find a better shot of that. But it it's almost like his lapels are outlined. Like, there's two of them. Huh. Ew, and what is his necklace? If you look at second... 11... Oh, no, it's his pipe. It's his pipe hanging down. Okay, Okay. I was going to say, I, I didn't see a necklace. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was me being zoomed in <laughs> on something very blurry. 
He is smoking a pipe. Again, great medical practice here. Um, he has French cuffs. That's what those are, right? When you need cufflinks? Yes. All right. I uh, don't know how to explain the double lapel thing, but I got that much right. <laughs> were French cuffs the only cuffs at that point? Before the mass market shirt? Oh. You know, that would make a lot of sense. But also, how old were... Or, um, I know sometimes if there wasn't really a cuff, but just like a tiny cuff with one button, like, uh, I'm not going to describe this well, but instead of being a wide cuff like that, if it was a really skinny strip of fabric that went around the end of the sleeve, and then there'd be like one button that kind of went over to cross a little bit of a gap, but it... It was really more continuous. It's almost like there isn't a cuff on the shirt. I think that would be more for a workman shirt, though. And this is a very snazzy outfit he's got going on. He is fancy, big city, medical, dressed up man. So maybe they are in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, I, what does this script call this town? I don't think they ever say it in the movie. Um... Uh... Cottonwood, Co- Cottonwood Falls? Okay. Cottonwood Falls. Population 12,617. Where they have French cuffs. <laughs> oh. Uh, you're right. That probably would have been the norm. I hear you Googling frantically. <laughs> oh, good grief. What? So Cottonwood, Cottonwood Falls, which, to be fair, is in the script. We don't know that's the actual destination. Uh, Cottonwood Falls is 166 miles away from Franklin. That's really far. Hang on, hang on. All right. We're just going to do all the live podcasting. Sorry, folks, because while Google Maps won't tell me the uh, how long that carriage would take to get between places, it will tell me how long it would take a person to bike between those two. And it would take... Go ahead. The number I came up with is... Twelve and a half hours. What'd you get? As the crow flies, it's 115 miles. 186 kilometers. Okay. So that's that's not a day trip by carriage. No. No. It's even today in a car... It's almost three hours. And while you certainly could do that, you wouldn't take off after doing your chores and be like, all right, I'll be back before dark. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be going back and forth. Like, no. Even today, doing that trip back and forth in the same day would be obnoxious. It'd be doable, but obnoxious. Back in 1899... I'm sorry. I don't buy it. 
any follow-up to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the population of Cottonwood Falls in 2010 was 903. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine believing that the town may have been more of a booming town in the 1800s and, you know, as population shifts moved around, uh, maybe it, okay. All right. The, the, okay. The eight, the, well, forget that the 1900 census, which would have been taking place as, uh, Dorothy and, and company were, were existing contemporaneous to the, to the plot of the movie was 899. Not twelve thousand. No. Uh, Although, uh, that might have been after the tornado. <laughs> oh my god! Are you implying that eleven thousand people perished in this storm? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. I I did I did say this minute was a perfect example of dark Disney. I just didn't realize how dark. No, the 1890 population was 770, uh, and the 1880 population was 518. So there's a bit of a a bit of a boom time between 1880 and and 1920, <laughs> um, when it or 1940. Well, 1920, it peaked. It, it hit. Uh, they crossed the thousand mark. 1940 was their peak at uh, 1,078, and then it's uh, declined from there. Mike, you don't think they'd actually talk about the tragedy of 1899 when 11,000 people perished overnight? Well, between 1890 and 1899, 11,000 people moved in. So. Well, yeah. It was going to be the next hot metropolis, but then so many of them died and the town never recovered. It's really a tragedy. <laughs> and the Cottonwood Falls government consists of a mayor and five council members. The council meets on the first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. I mean, for all we know, Uncle Henry, was he could have been part of the, part of the council. He was on the council. If... The- if the mayor doesn't talk like this, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> and that's my munchkin, and now we're done. <laughs> um, oh, that was the coroner, actually. Never mind. <laughs> um, oh, God. Wait. And no munchkins saying... lived in Kansas. No, but I like the idea that the only representatives of government we saw talked like this. Um... <laughs> Are you saying that Henry, who's faking his bum leg, is a member of the government? I feel like there's a very cynical political analogy to be made here. I was just coming up with what else he'd been doing. Clearly, there aren't many people in the town. No, but he's not going to go that distance every day. We just established yeah, so Cottonwood Falls in the script. Now we might have some reasoning for why that was removed. Uh, yep. I want to know, like, what I I would be very curious to look at other scripts and kind of see it develop because clearly Franklin was originally a, a plot point and that kind of fell by the wayside. And you can almost watch them just 
slowly writing out real Kansas for Disney filming practicality. Let's get this in the can and go home already. <laughs> oh, actually. Actually, you wouldn't believe it, but I think this might... I see why it was Cottonwood Falls. Why? Uh, if you zoom in a bit, there is... Uh, a, I'm not seeing a name, but there's like a, a, a body of water, a river, a stream. Uh, I guess it's a river. Uh, there is a river that goes... Right through, right uh, on the outskirts of Cottonwood Falls. Uh, oh, I thought you meant why in the movie. No, no. just um, I mean. Yeah, just in general. So well, that comes so you, into play in a bit. Yes. Um. <laughs> spoilers for the no, I'm just kidding. Um, there will be a river. Yes, and not only that, but. In 2017, if you put Cottonwood Falls, Kansas into Google Maps, look at the picture that comes up. Look at that house. That impressive Victorian white house with a cupola, a cupola, however you say it. Oh, yeah. Now, whoever wrote the script in July of 1984, well, it would have been written before that, but you know what I mean, obviously wasn't Google Maps. Using Google Maps, or were they? It is the courthouse. Uh. I just love that, like, that's the first thing my eye saw, and immediately I flipped back to your description of the outside of the house. It doesn't have a porch running along the length, but still. I just feel bad for any listeners we have that are actually in Kansas who are probably bored out of their minds right now. <laughs> As we examine these towns, like, we know! But this is very exciting stuff for me. I still don't believe that they rode here in a carriage in one day and Auntie M's going to be back. They're going to be back before dark. Yeah. But. That's a small... No, it's not a small detail. Clearly, I feel like someone worked on the script who knew Kansas really well, who put in these things like, oh, well, this town with the doctor and Cottonwood Falls, like, or this town with the doctor and the river, that should be Cottonwood Falls. And this little town that she lives by that's like the nearest quote-unquote town, it should be Franklin, Cool. And they didn't realize that it was all supposed to take place in one day back and forth. And then the next person who wrote the line that's supposed to be in back and forth in one day didn't know any more than we do about the geography of Kansas. <laughs> yeah, no, that would make that would make a lot of sense. It's too weird that these towns are both real. And both make sense. I mean, other than the population. But you, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it can't be a coincidence. But clearly, like, Feruza Balk and Walter Birch didn't know <laughs> how far apart they are. Yeah, and Dorothy says, I've never been past Franklin before. Which feels like to her, it's kind of a, a boundary of how far she's gone. Which 
you could interpret, I guess, either Dorothy has never gone anywhere or she's been a ways and she's never been past Franklin before. So hundred and you know, 115 miles as the crow flies between the two, Dorothy is saying, saying, oh, it's a journey just to get to Franklin. Forget going past it. Hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be long. I don't know. Um, I distracted myself very quickly by Googling. Walter Murch is a New York boy. Woohoo. And Gil Dennis, who's the other person credited with the screenplay, is from... Thanks, pop-up for the new Cars movie. Really good timing. Is from Charlottesville, Virginia. So neither of them connected to Kansas that I can see. And again, they were writing this in the early 80s. They were not Googling this stuff as we are. So, oh, he wrote Walk the Line. Good movie. Very different from this one. Anyway, I will stop looking at that because it is a huge distraction and makes for bad podcasting. All right. I'm back. I'm focused. This is a gorgeous office. Yes. The doctor is doing very well for himself. The paneling. I'm trying to figure out if what's on the desk around him it's kind of hard to make out because everything is a different shade of brown (laughs) so it's it's kind of hard to see specifics even going second by second he's got the great green ink blotter paper whatever you call those things you know matt it's not a big one it looks like two separate ones but great green color going on Lots of notes, not that he's taking any, our terrible doctor, sir. Beautiful, elaborately carved chair. But I'm trying to make out, like, the statues and stuff on his desk, and it... Looks like there's one of a horse. There's a gold thing. Uh, yeah, he has, he has a number of... We're, we're being so descriptive. He has a number of... Ornaments, I guess you could say. Ornamental decorations. I mean, he definitely does. It's just driving me nuts. I can't... I mean, he has a bell off to the left next to that open book. What is the thing in the middle? Is that an ink stand? I was thinking... I, I was thinking the same. I don't okay. see a... It, it looks too... It looks too big for the purpose it would serve. Yeah. But it's, it's clearly very decorative. So maybe it's just a super fancy one? It looks like you could pick it up by the handle in the middle. Would you have done that? Oh. And the two silver things are ink? Maybe that's so you can move it from place to place? I feel awful that we're not giving you guys more, but it's really hard to make out because by the time they zoom out enough that you can see things more clearly, now everything is very tidy. (laughs) Um, he's got a degree of some sort on the wall over his, over his left shoulder and over his right shoulder, I believe is some sort of photograph, but the way the light is shining on it, you can't actually see 
what's on it. That's frustrating. He's got a plant on a plant stand. His desk is also extremely ornamentally carved and Sorry, I had to lean close to make sure. There's a Z carved onto his desk. Is there? So, yes, they're a little heavy handed on this foreshadowing, guys. Yeah, so you see how, what would be the back of the drawers of the desk? When you zoom out at sec, I am on second 23. Look at that back panel. It's what's facing Dorothy, but it's the back of the desk as he sits at it. That's a Z. <laughs> That's absolutely. Oh. Yep. And there's a yep. circle around it. I was just trying to, the, the circle is fainter, but I, I wasn't sure if I was like seeing that because I wanted it to be there. But the Z is undisputable. And if you also think there's a circle there, then I'm going with that. Um, as I said, there's wood paneling all over. It looks like the columns on that side are actually like some sort of green marble, something like that. He's managed to keep a plant alive better than I ever could. And he has a grandfather clock. And a surprising number of lights, both on the ceiling, yes. the walls, a lamp next to Aunt Em. The hallway is gloriously lit, tons of lights coming through. It was a gloomy day, so I don't know. Must have more lamps out there. Yeah. That's true. And he's got the lamps with the fringe. The one next to Auntie M has the lampshade with the tassel fringe hanging down. Uh, yeah, I, I love those circular windows. I mean, this is this is some glorious set dressing, folks. I know I said there were going to be things I was going to rave about in this film. And you will hear me critiquing a lot of things in this movie how beautiful it looks and the care that went into some of these set pieces and and rooms will not ever be part of it. They look great. Oh. I'm so... Yeah, I guess that is just a person on a horse now that I'm looking at it from the other angle. Um, but yes... He's clearly doing very well for himself. And I think we're going to learn a little bit more about all these lamps this week. Chest of drawers over her shoulder. I'm trying to figure out what exactly she's sitting on. I think maybe we see it better in a later minute. When, like, she turns around and they're looking down at her. There is a little hiccup in Fruzabalk's speech as the camera's pulling back, and I almost wonder if she had something that she was able to read off of and then had to put it down once she was in full frame. But I shouldn't say that. She's a really great actress in this movie, so I should not doubt it that she had memorized that whole thing. Is she kicking her legs? Yes, her feet are hanging down uh, from Aww. the seat that she is on, just swinging free. That is adorable. That's such a little kid thing, too. She's just telling her story, kicking her legs, unaware that horrifying things are going to happen in the minutes to come. <laughs> so, do you have any other notes for this minute before I warn people about tomorrow? I think that... Let's see. Did the windows? 
Did the house? Did the tornado and the population? Yeah. <laughs> or lack thereof. Um, so I just wanted to make sure to warn anyone listening, we will not be releasing an episode tomorrow. Enjoy the holiday. Take some time off. Enjoy the summer. Mike and I are both summer people. We are big fans because it's almost birthday season. Um, <laughs> Watch the Boston Pops. Yes. I mean, do all those fun things. If you absolutely can't live without Return to Oz Minute in your life, A, you can come talk to us on Facebook in our listener group or just by searching Return to Oz Minute on Facebook and finding us there. You can write us on Twitter at Oz Minute. Or you can go back and re-listen to Friday's episode where we talk about flags. It's very patriotic. <laughs> or hit us up at weogtogpog.com. That's right. Oh, I hope you guys are visiting that and learning how to spell it. But if you haven't yet, maybe this is your first episode, in which case you should probably go back and listen to the earlier episodes. But you know what? Thank, welcome. We're still glad you're here. And you will also find the same website if you type in returntoozminute.com. The magic of redirection. The much easier spelling. Yes. Yes. We have we have levels of nerdiness with this movie. So if you know how to spell what we use as our sign-off, go for it. If not, Visit returntoozminute.com. You can learn more about the podcast. You can learn more about us. And you can learn how to spell weog. Teog. Heog. Heog.